You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. I want to preach to you this morning a message that I've entitled, The Space In Between Us. The Space In Between Us. What is hell like? What is hell like? Author William C. Nichols sums up the biblical descriptions this way. The heat of the fire will everlastingly torment them. And the stench of the brimstone will offend their senses, while the blackness of darkness will horrify them. For the damned who inhabit that place of eternal wrath, hell is truth learned too late. According to the Pew's Research 2014 Religious Landscape Study, 60% of Americans say heaven is a place where all people will ultimately spend eternity. 60% say that all people will spend eternity in heaven. At the same time, 40% of Americans say that they are hesitant to say whether non-Christians will spend eternity in hell. This brings me no pleasure. This brings me no delight. I'm not happy to say it. But I cannot hesitate because of the authority of God's Word and because I love you too much. But disobeying one word from this book will send you to hell. Just one word. So I need you to understand There's not a single good deed that can remove a single stain of sin on our lives. And the punishment for one sin is more than just physical death. It's more than just separation from the body and the soul. But it is eternal separation from God. And this God is the giver of life and the giver of every good thing. Hell is the space in between you and God. Hell is. And my big question that I want us to answer this morning is what can span the space in between us? What can span hell that stands between you and God? In Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, we're going to read about a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion was a soldier. He was a commander who was over a hundred Roman soldiers. And the Romans at this time and place in history were the oppressors and the enemies of Israel. And of course, Jesus himself is a Jew. The Jews traditionally considered every non-Jew or a Gentile as religiously unclean, separated from God. 
and to intermarry for a Jew to marry a non-Jew, a Jew to marry a Gentile, would eventually, they believe, to marry one would lead them to idolatry and thus away from their God to experience everlasting punishment. So you need to understand that Jews and Gentiles in Jesus' day were not friends. They looked at each other as enemies and not a single one would dare enter the home of another. And let's read what Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 9 say about this Roman centurion. Verse 5, when he, referring to Jesus, entered Capernaum, which is kind of like his hometown, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed in terrible agony. Most scholars believe that this Roman's servant had some form of polio. And so the centurion's coming to Jesus, going to plead and beg for his, his servant's healing. And then look here, it says here in verse 7, Jesus said to him, am I to come and heal him? Some of your translations may say, I will come and heal him. It just depends on how your translators uh, interpreted this emphatic ah. The idea is either this, I will come and heal him, or am I to come and heal him? Did you catch the point? Should, should me, a Jew, entered into the house of a centurion? Or he's either telling, I, as a Jew, will go to the house of a centurion. And the crowds around him were probably sitting there going, what are you doing? Jesus, you know this is a no-no. Or, or Roman centurion, you know better than to ask this. And look at the centurion's reply in verse 8. Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Here's the very first point I want you to see as we try to answer the question of what ultimately spans the space between us and God, this space in between is called hell, is we, we learn something about this centurion. Number one, the centurion shows that faith in Jesus' word, the centurion shows that faith in Jesus' word spans the space in between the servant and the healing. Faith in Jesus' word spans the space in between the servant and the healing. As you've noticed in the text, the centurion's servant is not with him. The centurion is where? The, servant, I mean, the centurion's servant's where? Back home. And so the centurion has come all the way to where Jesus lives, where his ministry's headquartered at, and goes and finds Jesus. He knows that Jesus is a miracle war, uh, worker. He's touched people, and they've become healed. And so he understands he's, the centurion's spanning a physical barrier, but he's also spanning a spiritual barrier as he, as a Roman, is headed into an area where there are Jews. 
But the centurion believed something about Jesus. That Jesus had the power to do something about his servant who was separated by so many barriers. A physical barrier, a spiritual barrier, and even a health barrier. And here's how he made the logic of Jesus' power. And I want you to catch it because it's so beautiful and so simple. The centurion says, I know something about power. I know something about authority. When I look to my soldier and I tell that soldier, go and march off a cliff, what does that soldier do? He goes and he marches off a cliff. Now here's what I want you to think about. Is it because that centurion in and of himself had the authority and power to make somebody do that? No. In fact, you'll see at the beginning, he says, I am under authority. See, in the Roman government, in the Roman Empire, there was only one person vested with all power and authority. Who was that? Caesar, the emperor. But the emperor sitting in Rome would then delegate his authority and power to his commanders and into his uh, centurions. And here's what I want you to think about. When a soldier or a servant of a centurion disobeyed the word of his centurion, who was he ultimately disobeying? Caesar himself. Now please don't take the analogy too far. We're just using what this poor centurion understood. He understood this. Jesus... When you speak, when you give your word on the matter, you're giving God's word on the matter. This is God's power at work in Jesus' life. This is God's power and God's authority that Jesus is wielding. When Jesus said it, God said it. And for a man who understood how authority worked, that's all that mattered to the centurion. If you'll just say it, because I know how authority works, this sickness will leave my servant. He did not believe Jesus had to make a single step in his direction. He did not believe Jesus had to touch his servant. He did not even believe Jesus had to get down on his knees and pray for that servant. He just believed if you'll send the word, if you'll just send the word, it'll reach my servant. His faith was that there was nothing impossible for Jesus. There is nothing impossible for Jesus. How does that affect you and I? What does that centurion's faith have to do with our faith? I want you to think about this, and I, and I have done this. I don't think it's inherently evil, but I do think after studying this text, it shows a lack of faith. I've prayed prayers like this about our Sunday gatherings God, just come down and visit us. Have you ever prayed that? God, we want to feel your presence. We want to know that you're here. And we are, in a sense, doing what the centurion does. Coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, come this way. Come over here. If you'll just come over here, we know things will happen. And what I love about what the centurion teaches, he goes, you can do it that way. That's one way to do it, is to go and grab Jesus up and plop his presence right here in the middle of it. Or, or ladies and gentlemen, you could take him at his word. 
Think about this. How many times have we been to church and we felt the presence of God when hundreds have showed up? Well, you know what? God was in this place today. It was a packed house. I've done it. How have we said it this way? God's in this place because I was just moved with emotion. I was so joyful. I was so happy. I was exuberant. Or I mourned and I cried. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but just think about it. We associate this experience or this visitation with these other tangible things. Oh, this was a good sermon. Many people came to the altar. This was a great sermon. It's trending on social media. And we attach all these things with the physical visitation of Jesus. But could we believe, here's what I want you to catch, could we believe that if this word is simply spoken, it's enough to change every single one of our lives? That's all we need. Do you catch that? That we could say today, Jesus showed up at Mount Carmel. Why? Because the word was given. See, some of us, with gentleness and respect, I've been there. This is just not enough. Is the word enough? And ladies and gentlemen, here's what's amazing. If you'll, if you'll get this in your soul, if this becomes the power and the authority of God for you, hey, you won't leave this thing. You'll be in the Word, whether we're gathered or not. Why? Because where the Word is, that's where the authority and power of God is. Just send the Word. We just need the Word. The centurion did not demand a sign. He just wanted the Word. What spans the space in between us? Faith in Jesus' word span the space in between the servant and healing. Now look at verse 10. Oh, Jesus, Jesus got excited, ladies and gentlemen. He's like, I'm going to have to preach some. Look at verse 10. He says, hearing this, Jesus was amazed. I like some of the other translations. He marveled. That word amazed or marveled was used many times throughout the Gospels. Generally, it would involve people marveling about Jesus. Whoa, Jesus, did you see what Jesus just did? There's two times in all of Scripture where it says that Jesus marveled. You did something that shocked him. One was when the Israelites did not believe him. He marveled at their disbelief. Look at what Jesus marvels here. Remember, a Roman centurion, somebody traditionally separated from God, said this, hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, those disciples that called on his name as Lord, he says, look at this, truly I tell you, he says, amen, i got to preach. I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. Every Israelite comes up to me and they want a sign. They want to wonder. They want to go back and tell everybody the miracle that Jesus performed. This man comes to me and he just wants my word. And Jesus turns this situation, this illustration, into something about our eternal destinies. Look at what it says here. I tell you that many will come 
from the east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, catch this. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? Think about all the kind of things when we say, when we all get to heaven, right? When we all get to heaven. We'll talk about being, that will be a glad reunion day, right? In the Jewish mindset, their kind of idiom or phrase for heaven was a big old banquet. See, Jesus was Baptist. He says, you know, hey, y'all talk about when we get to that big old banquet in heaven and Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know that scene we always keep talking about? He says, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to let you in on something about heaven that you may not know. He says, those from the east and the west, those who are far from God, far from the people of God, far from the place of God in Israel, he says, notice what it says. They'll come and they'll sit down beside Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're going to enjoy the heavenly banquet with us. And every Jew sat there and threw up. We don't even go into Gentiles' homes. And you're telling me the Father is inviting them into the heavenly home? Jesus goes, yeah. And then he looks at them. He says this. Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom literally the subjects of the kingdom, the people who the kingdom belongs to first. He's talking about Jews and Israelites. Will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see this great reversal? He says, in fact, he says, here's what happened. It was common in that day. They thought, just because you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are entitled to heaven. You're going to be in heaven because you are biologically, your ancestry is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know they're going to be sitting in heaven. And it's so sad because I think to myself, well, that's so stupid that people would think that they go to heaven just because their great-great-granddaddy knew God well. And then I sat there and go, like, we're in the South. I can't tell you the number of people that I've literally talked to. Like, you know, Josh, my great-grandpa was a traveling preacher. Yeah, but his holiness doesn't rub off on you. We tend to attach all these kinds of things about how we get to sit at that banquet. We think if we go to church, if we'll drop something in the plate, if we'll dress to the nines, if we'll go and get wet in the baptistry, that somehow that transitions us, transfers out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves. He says that's what all the sons of the kingdom thought. They thought they would just inherit heaven because of somebody else's prayers, because of somebody else's faith, because of somebody else's righteousness. And here's what Jesus is teaching here. Catch this, write this down, point number two. I want to make sure to give it to you. Just as it is, Christ shows that faith in His Word spans the space in between the soldier and heaven. Faith in His Word spans the space in between the soldier and heaven. You cannot sit at the king's table without surrendering to the king. We want to make everything about heaven other than this one thing. I'll make it real easy for you. Have you placed your faith in Jesus' saving word? Period. That is the deciding factor 
of whether you will sit beside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to you and I. And ladies and gentlemen, nobody delights in dwelling on this, but can you at least see the, the picture here? This is a horrifying picture. Imagine your whole life being told you'll inherit heaven and then here the king of heaven, the king of the kingdom comes in and says, unless you have faith like this centurion in my word, you'll be cast into outer darkness. Could you imagine this? I like how C.S. Lewis put it. Hell is made up of people who live at an infinite distance from each other. That, pay, that scares me to death to know that you could see out there over the horizon the glory of God and the people of God enjoying heaven and there's an infinite distance between you and it. And the more you walk to it, the further it got away. That's the outer darkness. Could you imagine always being out on what God's goodness is for the rest of eternity? This is nothing to play with. This is nothing to trivialize. We don't preach hell happy. We preach horrified. Please, I'm begging you today, on the basis of Jesus' word, who has all authority and power, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, I need you to know, you've been warned this day, every person who's under the sound of my voice, what you decide to do with Jesus determines your eternal destiny. Reject the King and you will know outer darkness which is an infinite distance between you and heaven. But I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the hope that if you put your faith in Jesus' word, there is no sin too black for the blood. Do you hear me? There's no barrier between you and God that he can't heal and mend and fix with the word. He can save you to the uttermost. He can clean you up, forgive you, make you holy, and literally take that Roman centurion and go, hey, meet Father Abraham. Because it has to do with the word. Look at how this story finishes. Then Jesus said, verse 15, then Jesus told the centurion, go as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very moment. And the idea here is it's not his proportionate of belief. It wasn't that he had this idea of like he mustered up so much faith. It's the faith is, is in connection to what you believe. It's about the what. He believed that Jesus could heal with just the word. I believe you can do it with the word. Well then, go. And I'm saying, the minute, I, I tell you now, this, the minute that g was pronounced from Jesus' mouth, that servant got up. What's that mean for you and I? Here's our big answer. What can span hell? What can span hell? A prayer of faith in Jesus' word spans the space in between us. Here's what gets me excited. To know that you could in this moment, because Jesus is not dead, he paid for the penalty of our sin on the cross, and his payment was so satisfying to God the Father that it literally erased the sin. 
And God raised him from the dead. He raised his son from the, from the dead, gave him all authority and power, and said this, in Jesus' name only is the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's not just twiddling his thumbs. He's there interceding for you and I. That you can come to him in prayer. Remember, he, he, we don't have to have a physical visitation of Jesus for him to work. He doesn't have to be in this room. Because he's in this room spiritually, he can hear us. And here's what I love this idea, is that if you believe them today, if you could say a prayer of faith in Jesus' word today, I want you to know this, you could be saved. Now, sitting where you're sitting can be saved. I'm begging you to believe. I'm pleading with you to believe. I'm warning you, believe. If you're an unbeliever here today, none of us are entitled to another moment. We're all on the brink of death. And here's what's happy. Some of us are on the verge of heaven because we've trusted in Jesus alone. And some of us are a slip away from the pits of hell. It's either or. Have you trusted him? Have you come to him and say, Jesus, I'm unworthy, but I believe with just the word you can save me. Believers, I want you to think about this. We might be fat and happy with our trip to heaven, but have you thought about those around you who are lost and dying and going to this outer darkness? A British criminal stood condemned to die. The morning of his execution, the prisoner observed a preacher as he walked beside the prisoner up to the gallows. And the preacher was reading Bible verses without emotion. He was just going through the motion. Stunned at the preacher, unmoved by the circumstances of the day, the prisoner said to that preacher, Sir, if I believed what you and the church say you believe, even if all of England was covered with glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it. it need, if it need be, I'd do it on my hands and knees and think it worthwhile just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Believers, if we really believe that's the picture of hell, when's the last time you went to King Jesus to pray for that servant, that co-worker, that neighbor, that friend, your child? If he can save with just a word, then we also, for those who are believing, need to go in believing prayer to Jesus to save those who are lost. And I still don't want us to miss the gravity of this. Some of you may be sick physically, emotionally, mentally. Do not underestimate the power of Jesus. I still believe he can give the word and those things can be healed. What can span the space in between us and hell? So simple, a prayer of faith in Jesus' word. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.